Brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. It's going to be a day, which is appropriate. I mean, it is 420, so it's about time we covered some some insanity around here. Guys was at work were wondering if I was going to take the day off like it's my national holiday. Oh, well, we know how you get. (laughs) (laughs) Shake and bake Lou over there. (laughs) And we ain't talking about the pork chops, no. (laughs) No, it is 420, not that that's going to matter to us, and we are talking about the resurrection, and Lou's over there. I'm over here, and we are here to tell you that Jesus' work is about God and not you. Hmm. Catchy. Which, yeah, don't, I'm, I'm feeling pithy today. Pithy. I, yes, I, I'm in a pithy mood. <laughs> uh. And I'm not Mike Tyson, so I actually mean that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I get it now. Making a lisp joke. Yeah. So, <clears throat> all right, we are going to be talking about the resurrection. Unless you are completely French, and then we'll be talking about the resurrection. But no, yeah, don't ask me where that came from. We are talking about the resurrection. That little section I read to you at the beginning is from 1 Corinthians 15. So we got to lay a bit of a foundation here, lest we go completely off the rails in a vein similar to what we're going to read in a little while. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're going to talk about Lou's favorite person today. Mm. Yes. It is the Pope. Yes, Pope Frankie. Remember, that is his official name. He is Pope Frankie. Unless Mm. it's Latin, in which case he's Popicus Francicus. Popus Francus. Oh my goodness. We are off the rails. Yes. If I ever meet the Pope, I'm going to walk up to him and let me be frank. <laughs> he would probably give you that stoic look. <laughs> yeah, just stand until he doesn't get the joke, you know. <sighs> so yes, we're going to let Frankie speak in a minute. But before we let Frankie speak, we, we want to make sure we dig this foundation deep and understand what incarnation this is all about. So I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received. So... Paul is telling you in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, that he's going to run down the gospel message, which the Corinthians know because, wait for it, it's what Paul taught them when he was there in person. Right. So that's important. Which also you received, the message that they heard from Paul that they internalized and went, yay, go team. In which also you stand, the only message enabling you to stand firm in the world before God against your sin. By which also you are saved. This is the only thing that redeems you. There is no other message. As Peter would tell you in Acts 4, there is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. If, ah, we were doing so good. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So, 
if you do not rest upon this gospel message, then you are believing in something else. If you are believing in something else, then the reception of the message that you took from Paul was useless because you have not remained there. You have not, as Jesus put it, abided in him, the vine. Are you with me so far? Got it. Yep. All right. Lou is nodding, so I'm going to take that as you are nodding because Lou represents you, the people. All right. <laughs> Lou's like, I'm important. Yeah. I made the list today. <laughs> so, what is the importance of this message? For I delivered to you as of first importance. Here it is. This is core right here. You need this. What I also received. If you want to know where that is, go read, um, well, read Acts. It'll do you good. But specifically, um, my brain just went up complete stop. Acts 9, right? Yeah. Yeah, Acts 9. Right I was going to say 11. Yeah, I was going to say 11, but I know that's not right. So mm-hmm. Acts 9. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So in other words, the Passover lamb. He was buried, and then he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So he was dead, and wait for it, then he wasn't. Mm -hmm. Why? Because as the perfect sacrifice, death has no hold because sin has no power because it has no claim upon him. The death that Christ died was not because of his sin, it was because of your sin. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So in other words, there's a rundown of people who can corroborate this testimony. You can go to Peter, you can go to James, you can go to any of the apostles, you can go to a whole pile of folk, many of whom probably traveled through that Corinthian church. Right. So this is important. That resurrection is the fulfillment of all of Christ's ministry, of all of the promises of God going all the way back to the garden. And one of the, the one of the awesome things that I like about how Paul talks about this is it's just in terms of eyewitnesses. These aren't mm-hmm. little these aren't fables and genealogies. Once upon and, a time there was a dude. Right. And he had awesome hair. Right. Fabio, Fabio or whatever. Yeah. Um, but but we have eyewitnesses, you know, people who were still alive at the time that could have refuted this. Amen. Good stuff. So this is important. This is the core of the gospel message. You repudiate this. You lose this, that Christ died for sinners. You no longer have a gospel. You no longer have a, a salvation. Therefore, you no longer have any standing before God. Your sin remains. The wrath of God remains and you in trouble. Right. That, that's, this is not a good place. Now, Paul's going to continue on justifying this belief in the resurrection. And we are, look, be honest with you, we're going to try to get through all this. It's 58 verses. If we try to get all of this in tremendous detail, then we're going to be here till tomorrow. Right, right. I don't want that. You don't want that. And we have things to do. Right. <laughs> so, read 1 Corinthians 15. Wait for it. Wait for it. It'll do you good. So, Paul defends his apostleship 9 through 11. Paul then defends the idea and reasoning behind the resurrection in 12 through 19. This matters because uh, verse 19 is the punchline. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, your faith in Christ is not in this world. It is in a resurrected world to come. Either you going to Christ or Christ returning to you, depending on when you die. 
That's just the reality of things. Because Christ has been raised, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, then you actually have a hope for a life beyond this sinful slog that you currently engage in. It's a good word we need to use more of, yeah. slog. Yeah, it's a good jumping off point to talk about why our Old Testament is important. Um, the Hebrew Scriptures talk about the Feast of First Fruits, and so when you make a mention of it in passing, it, it's it's very important. I mean, these things pointed to Christ. They were types and yes. shadows of the things yes. and the realities that were coming. He's the living water. He is the yes. bread from heaven, not the manna. Indeed. He is the light of the world, not the temple torches. He is the fulfillment of all of these things. Right. He is our dwelling place and our protection, not the tents that they built in the wilderness. These things are all meant to be fulfilled ultimately in Christ. So the gospel, in my opinion, has been preached since the garden, the fall, since Abraham. Abraham heard it and believed. All of these things are important. And as someone who has preached through both Genesis and Exodus, I would say, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah totally, dude. Like, yeah. we're going to have, like, Valley Girl theology. Yeah. <laughs> I need some gum to smack. Yeah. <laughs> now, Paul continues on justifying the Corinthian belief. So, in other words, if you start around... Um, I'm sorry, I skipped the section, didn't I? Mm. Uh, Verse 20. I'm sorry. 20. Verse 20, he begins mm. explaining that this first fruits is fulfilled in you, the, the sinner who has been redeemed. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Yes. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, that those who are in Christ at his coming. I'm sorry, the, the, then comes the end, and he hands over the kingdom. So, in other words, what's the point of all this? Is Christ is building a people. He's person number one. And then it's two through, you know, however many are coming right. until the day when God's kingdom is complete and these people are all presented before God so that God would be worshipped in total. That's the importance of this. He then uses Corinthian practice starting around verse 29, running down why this matters and how you know it. The fact that you live a certain way, the fact that you have certain rituals that point to it are important. Again, punchline here. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat drink, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Right. In other words, you are living not for this world. You are not, please, please hear me. You are not living with your hope in this world. You are living this world in this world with a hope of a world to come. The gospel message changes you now. Yes, nobody's denying that. We are, we are the sanctification people. Like, how many episodes have we done on sanctification? Right. I mean, this is, we, we, don't, don't, come, don't come to me and say we're not the sanctification people, okay? But that sanctification is about your holiness before God, finally revealed and fulfilled in his eternal kingdom, not this place. Mm -hmm. Your pagan neighbor, barring repentance and faith in Christ, is going to be a pagan neighbor, and that's it. Your good works won't help him. Your good living in society will not change him. Your hope is in a kingdom that is to come. Your righteousness is yours because it has been given to you by Christ. Yeah, it, Paul even talks about that in the beginning of, of First, Corinthians, or First Corinthians. He talks about how God, our salvation is only because of the works of God and that Christ is our sanctification, our righteousness, uh, you know, he is that. He embodies yes, that. Yes, he is that's, all of That's where we get ours and, from. And, and that's those. why we have no room for boasting in our own works because it's not by our works. And those things are only received in 
Christ. Again, go back to our Peter reference. There is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. There is no other means, method, or preaching that accomplishes this. So you must stand in Christ. If you do not, there's brokenness. There is corruption. There is degradation. There is destruction. There is all of Romans 1. You want to be in a good mood later today? Go read Romans 1. <laughs> You'll suddenly look at your world and go, it makes a whole lot more oh sense now, goodness. doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, this is, this is bizarre. Did you write this yesterday? <laughs> and that's why Paul can bring this home. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. This builds on what he was just talking about, which is in the body that is to come is imperishable because it has been built by God. Right. Not in the physical, but in the spiritual sense. Now, is it a physical body? Yes, but it is built in a spiritual sense in that it is a perfected, imperishable body. In other words, what Adam and Eve were supposed to be apart from sin. Right. What, what is lost in the garden returned in Christ. The, the, imperishable, the perishable inherit does not inherit, does, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. Now, when that happens, what's the cry? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is important. The only way you will stand is if you stand in Christ. There's not anything else. Now, the only way, this is where I'm going to come all the way back to the beginning. So you ready? Give me a sip of water. <laughs> I'm chugging today. All right. The only way you stand before God is if you stand in Christ. This is important. Here's where we're going back to the beginning. The only way you stand in Christ is if you stand in his work. Rightly defined. This is that Second John passage we were talking about last week. Mm -hmm. If you don't have Jesus right, you don't have the Father. Father. Your sin still abides, and and again, you're in trouble. So you have to understand what salvation actually is accomplishing and what it is meant to accomplish. Does it change your life? Yes. It should. But but how? And this is something that that you, good listener, should get, because this is something we hammer all the time. The gospel message, salvation in Christ, changes your life by changing who you are at the core. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Again, who does he write that to? The Corinthian church. <clears throat> Again, this Corinthian church was, was busted and messed up. They needed this. Because you are changed, the way you think is changed. The things that you want are changed. The peace of God is now present. The discipline of God is being enacted. Therefore, the way you live in the world is different. So once again, remove that gospel change. Remove that salvific work of Christ. What are you left with? You're left with the same you doing the same stuff in the same way. Just, I don't know, busted. Now this becomes important. The reason this is important is because, look, are there numerous effects of the gospel in your life? Absolutely. Nobody's going to deny that. But there is only one grand accomplishment of the gospel in your life. 
it changes you into a Christ-likeness because your sin is defeated in Christ. If this is not the effect you are seeking from the gospel, then you have the wrong gospel, which means you have the wrong Christ, which means you have the wrong God, which means you have nothing. So why are you a Christian? Because I need my sin forgiven. Why do you follow Christ? Because he cleanses me of my unrighteousness. He forgives my sin and provides me a righteousness that I can find nowhere else. Right. Right. So we don't have to try and rebuild things by our own means, like our own righteousness. We have an alien righteousness. And the things that we do build and or rebuild in the world are built on Christ, right, and because of the work of the individual. Right. If we are anywhere else, we have the wrong gospel. We have the wrong Jesus. Well, without without Christ, we don't even have a proper hermeneutic by which we can interpret the scriptures. Agreed. And so we have to look at it as a holistic approach to everything that we do and everything that we are. Agreed. And again, if you lose that, this is we, I do this on Sunday mornings all the time. <clears throat> I haven't done it here in a while. 66 books, 1,500 years, mm-hmm. um, what, three languages, three continents, 40-plus authors, one message. Right. One message. If you lose Christ, this is why I have said this before. I know you don't like this quite as much as I like this, but I, it's still valid. The Old Testament is a book without an ending, and the New Testament is a book without a beginning. Without the Old Testament, the New Testament doesn't make any sense. Like, where did this Jesus guy come from? What's he doing? Why am I in need of sin redemption? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. The Old Testament fills in all that gaps. Likewise, the Old Testament without the New Testament is, this, is a constant longing. Mm-hmm. It's a constant hope. There's, there's no there there, because what are you left with? You're left with signs, you're left with pointings, but you're never really going to fully understand them. This is why I'm one of those people that I give a lot of grace to the Old Testament saints, because... We read too often the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. We're like, how did you people miss this? I don't think they all did. Well, no, I don't think they all did either, but when it's obvious that they did Mm -hmm. and they missed it, and you're like, how? I'm like, well, they don't have Paul. (laughs) They don't have Luke to to fill in these gaps. How much would you have gotten if you didn't have the New Testament shining a light going, hey, 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 right there? That's about Jesus. Right. So that that's why I'm a, I'm an advocate for sometimes you just need to try to forget a little New Testament and read your Old Testament and and look for the signs and look for the grand narrative because well, a lot of times we miss the forest for the trees because we definitely. we read it wrong. Definitely. So, I mean but you know Christ on the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion I mean he he then opened their eyes mm-hmm. And he started with Moses and ended in the prophets. He opened their eyes to everything that pertained to him in those scriptures. Yeah. So there, there was a revelation after the resurrection. Agreed. And he open, at the end of that chapter, is he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. You see the Holy Spirit right. coming, and you see the fulfillment right. of all. Without that, right. what were the apostles like watching the fulfillment? They right. were like, what is this guy doing? Well, they had no idea. Even he, <laughs> even though they, he told them yeah. that he was going to suffer, die, and be Those are my favorite parts of Luke. Those are my favorite parts of Luke, where Jesus will do this great miracle, and the crowd's amazed, and the disciples all gather around, and then, like, there's this little aside, and Jesus turns and is like, uh, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over to people, they're going to, tr- they're going to execute me, and I'm going to rise again three days later. Yeah. And you're like, sweet, he just explained the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. And then the apostles are always like, what's he mean by that? What do you right. think he's talking about? Right. <laughs> it's because we didn't bring any bread. 
<laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, dudes. But they were looking for a conquering king. Agreed, because they, they had the wrong, before the work, they had the wrong Jesus. And the, and the Messiah they wanted couldn't save them. Well, to, to be fair, there, uh, there is a lot of discussion in rabbinical teaching about the suffering servant or the, the king, the conquering king. So there's two messiahs oh, yeah. um, in, in, in But my Judaism. point is, for everybody that was putting their, <clears throat> hanging their hopes on that conquering king to kick out the Romans, right. that messiah can't save you. Yeah. That Jesus doesn't bring you to the Father. That Jesus just gives you a kingdom. In Jerusalem. Yeah, they don't understand the no, order they have of operation no clue. here. And yeah. neither would anybody else, barring the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit and the grounding that we have in Christ. This is, again, why. Christian, you're the branch. You've got to abide in the vine. If you lose the anchor that is Christ, none of this makes any sense. Right, right. If you lose Very the well anchor said, that yeah. is Christ, you have no way to interpret the festivals, no way to interpret the commandments, no way to understand the sacrificial system. It all becomes nyeh. And that's, again, this is why I'm not a dispensationalist. Mm -hmm. Because I think dispensationalism, when taken to a hyper-extreme, I'm not talking to all of you, I'm just talking to some of you, when taken to its hyper-extreme, subdivides the time periods and the epochs too much to the point that you have a separated Israel and Jesus. To the point that you are no longer interpreting Israel through Christ. Well, that's literally saying, I don't interpret God's people in light of God. Yeah, how does that work? Just, just say that out loud again, slowly. Yeah. That's like that time the, um, the Flat Earth Society tweeted out that they had members all around the globe. Okay. And somebody responded to them, read that again, yeah. slowly. You realize what you just <laughs> said. I was just like, um, no, no, never mind. You can't convince them. But, so this matters. Lose Christ. Lose Everything. Lose the ability to understand scripture. Lose the ability to stand before God. Lose the ability to have sins forgiven. You lose everything. Now, this matters because the more subtle danger here. You ready? Ready. The more subtle danger is not the losing of Christ, but the reinterpreting of Christ. And I think you just Mm -hmm. hit on it. There's that rabbinical tradition. We've got the suffering servant. We've got the conquering king. But we don't know how these things go together. Just like we've got the king from the line of David, and we've got the prophet like Moses, we don't see that these two things are going together. You need the explanatory work of God and the empowering of the Holy Spirit to truly understand these things. This is your 1 Corinthians 2, again, 1 Corinthians 2 in action. The natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually appraised. There's a reason why Paul's putting so much of this in the Corinthian letters. Yeah. The Corinthians need this because the Corinthians are a divided congregation. Yeah, they've yeah. they've got goodens and they got badens in there, and so when they go bad, they go bad, bad. Right. And I mean, and, and Corinth is a rough go. I mean, Corinth is like trying to plant a church in Sodom. I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah, they did have a lot of uh, immorality going on in there, and he he talks a lot yeah. about that in the beginning of the epistle. Yeah, it's it's a train wreck, and, and he, so he wants unity, and he he he's trying to help them unify the church around the true gospel. And that's why I think there's so much exposition by Paul about the church working together and walking together in love and how they're supposed to benefit one another in the Corinthian letters. Because if you don't have that community of faith in that city, (laughs) you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. So to the point, though, that reimagining of Jesus is the normal temptation of the sinful heart. 
You saw rabbis trying to be faithful, doing it with the Old Testament. You saw it with the priests in the intertestamental period. You see it with, air quote, um, Christians in the New Testament period with the Judaizers. It's like we're trying to follow Jesus, but we're trying to follow Jesus the way that we understand him, not the way that he is revealed. So we put our own slant and our own spin, and that's, again, the warning. When you do that, you got the wrong Jesus because you don't understand Jesus. Jesus explains himself to you, and there's a difference between those two things. So, and you also will see this in the, um, the early church period. This is why you have so many, regardless of what Bart Ehrman says, you have so many of these heretical groups. Right. Because what you have are people who are going, oh, I kind of like some of this teaching. I like the results of this teaching, but I don't like the call of this teaching, or I don't like all the details. So I'm going to take the Christian message, and I'm going to reimagine it and reinterpret it according to my understanding of the world, in the soul and how I think it works. And yeah. then I'm going to follow after that. Welcome <coughs> excuse me. Welcome to the Ebionites, welcome to the Marcionites, the Valentinians, I mean the Gnostics. This right, was right. You're just you're injecting your cultural perspectives. Regardless of whether or not that's a religious culture or a secular culture. Right. Um Manichaeans did this. This is this is the this is the early church period. Right. Is the um my goodness, I, I need to stop trying to name them off. But it's the taking from your understanding of the world and adding to. And by the way, um, there's nothing new. Carry that idea forward. You see this in the medieval period where the church, and I'm going to use, um, when I refer to the church in the Middle Ages, always realize that I'm referring to small C Catholic church, not big C Catholic church. So right. Catholic as in universal would be everybody. Um, and I, and, I, and I mix those up. I think the Roman Catholic Church is the small C Catholic Church. <laughs> right. They are the non-universal. But you'll see this in what becomes the Roman Church in the Middle Ages. It's less of a church and more of a secular state in its administration and power structure. It's, it's a medieval monarchy more than it is a religious function. And that's why you'll see various reform movements going all the way back into the 4th century beginning to spring up. Trying to, well, I'm sorry, I said 4th century, 5th century. 400s. You'll see these reform movements already beginning to spring up in various places because they're looking at the monarchical aspects of the church and going, this isn't Jesus. Right. That reimagining is carried through throughout human history, including, ready, this is ready for awesome segue time? We are. Including our awesome uh, example of today. How's that for a great segue from church history to modern? Bam! Wow. I'm telling you, it's what happens when you let the squirrel stop drinking for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, the squirrel's running my brain. All right. It's Easter time. I love this article because I left some of the snarkiness from this article in there. I, I took some of the snarkiness out because it, I, I, even I thought it was a little over the top. And you got to be pretty sarcastic for me to be like, okay, you're a little too sarcastic. Oh, funny. But, it's Easter time at last. Time to remember the sacrifice of the Christ and God's mercy in sending him to suffer for our sins. It's a good start. To remember and to remember something else, apparently. According to the woke Pope in Rome, hmm. band name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that needs to be a rap group. Woke Pope in Rome. That that should it be could work. It, that would work, right? Yeah. Now it's now's the time to also remember that white people are racist. Oh, <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Yeah, I almost fell out of my chair when I first. I suppose that. that part of the Bible didn't make it into the final cut, but I love how they put Pope in air quotes. Uh-huh. Pope air quotes Francis or air quote Pope Francis found and recovered it. 
he, in good in a Good Friday interview for Italian television, had this to say about what Christians should be thinking about now that it's Easter. Mm. So you ready? Mm. This is Popus Francicus, <laughs> the affectionate Pope Frankie, telling you what the Easter... Does anybody know what Easter's all about, Charlie Brown? Pope Frankie knows. It is true. Refugees are subdivided. There's first class, second class, skin color. If they come from a developed country or one that is not developed, we are racists. We are racists, and this is bad. The problem of the refugee is a problem that Jesus suffered, too, because he was a migrant and a refugee in Egypt when he was a child to escape death. All right, we got to stop. We got to stop. Yeah. I read this originally, and I'm like... I had to read that twice. I read that originally. I'm like, we're not going to cover this. We're not going to cover this. And I'm reading it now, and you know what? We're going to cover this. Okay. All right. All right. You ready? Okay. Let's do this. At this... I'm going to do this in the simplest, most straightforward way that we can. You ready? At the time of his birth, all the way until well after the time of his death, Jesus lived in an Israel that was ruled and run and governed by the Roman Empire. Okay? Are you with me so far? This is important. Mm -hmm. Jesus lives in an Israel that is ruled and governed by the Roman Empire. When Herod, who is an under-shepherd, air quotes, in the Roman Empire, so he's in charge of a specific area, but he's not the king. Rome is. Mm -hmm. If Herod does things that Rome doesn't like, Rome puts a boot on his neck and no more Herod. So when Herod decided to preserve some of his authority and power by wiping out the children, Jesus fled Roman-occupied, governed, and controlled Israel, and he and his family, well, rather his family and he, traveled to Egypt. Now, at this time in history, when Jesus was born until the time that Jesus died, Egypt was run, ruled, governed, and administrated by Rome. Jesus wasn't a refugee. He went from one part of the Roman Empire to another part of the Roman Empire. That's like you, modern-day American, leaving Illinois and going to Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Even if you have nowhere to live when you get to Oklahoma, are you a refugee? No, you're a transplant. Plain and simple. And the real fun part, you ready for this? They didn't even have to learn a new language. They wouldn't have even had to learn a new culture. Egypt would have been very thoroughly Hellenized. Israel had fought its own battle against Hellenization. But the Galilee region was quite familiar with Hellenized culture. It was a trade route for Syria and the Transjordan region. You would have been very familiar with the Hellenized culture, as well as the Greek language, which would have been spoken in and around Israel in and around Syria, in and around modern-day Jordan, and in and around ancient and modern-day Egypt. He's not a refugee. He's going from one part of the empire to another part of the empire. Similar culture, similar backgrounds, similar language. Joseph would have been able to set up shop and open a business like in a day and a half. Yeah. This, this is not refugee status. This, this is transplant. They relocated. Right. They, and, and they didn't do it with trouble either. Right. Do, you ever, do you ever wonder? I often ask this question. Do you ever wonder why the gifts of the Magi were what they were? Like, what's this kid doing with, like, a pile of cash and some perfume? Like, right, what? that was currency back then. Yeah. Everything that they got. They was... showed up in Egypt, and it was like, we're loaded. <laughs> 
I mean, we got, we got gold. We got tradable goods. We, we have stuff. Yeah. They didn't just show up like, oh, poor us, holes in our shoes, you know, just hopped off the train like a bunch of hobos. Yeah. They had cash. Divine providence. In hand. Yeah. That's why when the time comes, they're just, they're settled. Right. Now, are they well-to-do? No. Well, and, and, and they weren't trying to be conspicuous. Agreed. You know. Um, but they're set. Yeah. They're okay. They can set up shop. They can get a house. They can get some property. They can... And Joseph can open a business and go to work yeah. and make a living. I mean, this is this while is they, not... while they weren't out of Rome proper. No, they were out of Herod's yeah. jurisdiction. Right, they were out of Herod's jurisdiction. Yeah. They, he didn't know where they they had went. Otherwise, he probably would have sent someone. Agreed. Um, and and they would have allowed it. Yeah. All Herod would have had to do was send some paperwork and be like, "Hey, I'm hunting down this kid. You know, yeah. if you see him, Bring let me know." In. And the Egypt would be like, "Okay, have some, have a look around, live if you find anything." Well, it, it's. The problem I have with the way that, I mean, he's isogetically interpreting Agreed. that narrative that we find in the Gospels about what, you know, Joseph and, and Miriam did, you know, taking Jesus out of there and going, going to Egypt to because, get out of his... Again, one, it's, 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 bad, it's bad terminology. He's not a refugee. He's yeah. a transplant. They, they relocated. Sure. Now, two, do you notice the problem? He's already beginning it. He's reimagining Jesus how? Not in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and picking up the slack to succeed where Israel failed. He's reimagining and reinterpreting Jesus to be a representative of you, provided you're not white. Right. (laughs) Now. White is evil, I guess. Oh, well, didn't you know that? Yeah. How many of them are suffering to escape death? There is an image of the flight into Egypt that a Piedmont artist executed. He sent it to me, and I made holy cards from it. It shows Joseph with the baby who are fleeing. But St. Joseph does not have a beard. No, he is Syrian from today with a baby who is fleeing the war today. An anguished face that these people have. Just like Jesus, forced to flee. And Jesus went through all these things. He is still there. On the cross, there are people from the countries of Africa at war, of the Middle East at war, of Latin America at war, of Asia at war. So, so Jesus is on the cross because people in Africa are shooting each other. Now, could you make that argument because of sin? Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. Is that the argument that he's making? No. No, Definitely no. Not. He's, again, this is, <clears throat> if you're unfamiliar with it and you want to know what, um, what the exegetical work of liberation theology looks like, Which you're hearing it right yeah. here. Yeah. Several years ago, this is still Pope Frankie. Several years ago, I said that we are living a third world war in pieces, but we have not learned. I, I am a minister of the Lord and a sinner chosen by the Lord, but a sinner nevertheless. Oh, I should have read ahead. When I went to Redipuglia, Pugli, Puglia, Redipuglia, there we go, I got to say it a couple of times, Redipuglia in 2014, for the commemoration of the centenary, I saw and I wept, and I wept. All I could do was weep. All the young men, all the boys. This doesn't make any sense to me. Then one day I went to the cemetery in Anzio, and I saw those young men who landed in Anzio, all young. And I went there yet again. I am moved to tears before this. I think it was two years ago when there was a commemoration of the landing in Normandy. I saw the government leaders. There was a reunion. They commemorated this. But why don't we all commemorate the 30,000 soldiers who fell on Normandy's beaches? War is growing with the lives of our children, of our young people. This is why I'm saying that war is a monstrosity. Do you have any idea what he's talking about? Yeah, he's, he's off the, 
off the page there. So we commemorate Normandy, but we don't commemorate the soldiers who died. There's literally a massive cemetery at Normandy. Right. You, yep. This doesn't make any sense. Yep. Let us go to these cemeteries, which are the very life of this memory. Let's think about that scene that is written. Ships arriving on Normandy, opening, young boys jumping down with their rifles, and the Germans. Editor's note, the Holy Father imitates the action of shooting. So while Pope Frankie is saying this, he's actually imitating the action of shooting a rifle. Mm -hmm. I love this. With their rifles and the Germans, 30,000 on the beach. I have no idea what he's talking about. I know. And you know what? Deep down, this is where I'm going to say something really controversial. Neither does he. He has no idea what he's talking about either. And you know why? Because he's not grounded to anything. Because his Jesus is not the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you. That is not his gospel message. His Jesus is an example. His Jesus is only able to save if you are oppressed in the temporal sense, not the eternal sense. Well, they're not, they don't believe that we need salvation. We need liberation. Yes. And, man, it's just so strange. The theology just does not make sense. So there's oppression from the war. Mm -hmm. There's oppression for the refugee. There's oppression for the brown people. There's oppression for everyone but white people. Therefore, white people don't need a savior. I'm good. My English, Irish, and Italian heritage has given me something useful. I am not oppressed. Therefore, I don't need Jesus, according to this. <laughs> How empty and dumb is that? Yeah. Now, it, what's the rule? It, it is don't do dumb things. There you go. But it's so far from the text of Scripture. And this is... That it, it's hard to even it's hard to even fathom how they how they inject this nonsense into the gospel message, which is no gospel because it's not. It's the not hard when you realize what's the human temptation from the very beginning to synthesize myself, my ideas in my world, and then slap a little Jesus on it and say it's okay. This is the human temptation from the very beginning. Yeah. What's the original? What's the original sin, guys? What's the original question? God did, really said. did God really say? Yeah. Now, this is why this becomes important. Because again, what does the gospel do? If you have not believed in vain, what does the gospel do? It changes you. It doesn't change your actions. It changes you. This is why the call is to die to self. To forsake the things of this world. To mourn in the presence of your sin. This call is to say that I'm not the answer. I'm not wise. I'm not clever. I'm not good. He is. Yeah, to pick up your cross on a daily. So in other words, you're dying daily. Yes. Um, you have to recognize that we are crucified in Christ Jesus, like in Galatians. Paul says that. Uh, I mean, it's one of those things that if you don't really identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of God, of Christ, then you don't even know who you are. In this world, you, you can't even identify as a human being if you, if you don't look at it from that perspective. Because you're trying to explain and understand God's word without God. You're trying to understand who he is from your perspective. Yeah. You're reasoning from you up. And how many times have we said that that's a complete and utter train wreck? Right, I was just going to mention, you, you make an analogy. When you start from us and work your way to God... It, it's wrong. And you got to start with God and work your way back down. And this theology starts with an understanding yeah. of this world and us and then tries to reimagine God in light of that. Therefore, it's a gospel that can't save because it's a gospel that has no God. 
It has nothing. It stands in the same tradition as all those heretics I mentioned earlier. Right. The Ebionites, the, the Valentinians, the Marcionites, the Gnostics. It stands with all of these guys. It stands with the kingdom theologians of the rabbinical tradition who are like, hey, as soon as we get that conquering king to kick out the Romans and reestablish our nation, we're going to be in good shape. Right. It stands with the Pharisees who wanted to trust in their keeping of the law and not an understanding of God's fulfillment. It, it's, it's a full, it stands in that same tradition in line that says me, my understanding, my wisdom, and my world applied to God. Mm-hmm. Rather, again, you come to him in recognition of your brokenness, in recognition that the wrath of God abides upon you, and you call out to him to redeem, rescue, and change you. Yeah, there's an element of, of repentance in, in what you speak. You have to return to him. Yes. Um, and some of us that weren't born Jewish didn't know about God, didn't have any idea about the covenants. Yes, we need to understand who he is and turn to him. And that's, and that, again, if you, like don't, said. And if you don't start with the understanding of who God is, right. what he has made, how we corrupted, and what he is doing about it, then you will never understand the Old Testament. You will never see the fulfillments in Christ. And if you never see that fulfillment in Christ, you will never understand the exposition that the apostolic teaching in the epistles of the New Testament lays down. You can't understand what Paul is laying down here if you don't understand the work of Christ in the Gospels as the fulfillment of the prophetic call, which is a fulfillment of the history of Israel, which is a fulfillment of the promises given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to Noah all the way back to Adam. If you don't see that line, that chain, you have no hope. You have nothing. And that's where modern theology, when it is grounded upon modern man, is so broken and breaks down. Because what it says is, I don't like this about the world. So how does Jesus make that better? Ooh, I can actually tell you. You ready? Mm-hmm. How does Jesus make that better? He fixes the people. And by fixing the people, you have a chance of fixing the overall situation. But you can't fix the situation unless you first fix the people. And nothing fixes the people except the true gospel message preached by the apostles, accomplished by Christ, promised in the prophets. If you don't have that, you have nothing. And that's why this is so empty. And that's why we can look at this and go, dude, you can't get the refugee thing right? No, he can. Mm -hmm. And the reason he can is because his gospel is centered upon him. It'll never work that way. What was the starting point? Jesus' work is about God, not you. It's about fulfilling the promises of God, accomplishing the kingdom of God, not your understandings, not your world, his kingdom. That's good stuff. I'm warning you now. I have more Resurrection Sunday insanity next week. Oh. Oh. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Should we tease it, or do you want to be surprised? No, go ahead. I have, I found, well, I didn't find it. I saw this, and I was like, oh, yeah, Lou's going to love this. I think it's a Presbyterian church Mm -hmm. that has a woman pray to the God of pronouns. (laughs) Wow. I'm almost giddy. I almost did that this week, but I thought Pope Frank, you would be more important. So, yeah, we will will have more Best of Resurrection Sunday next week. (laughs) So what have we learned today, children? False religion destroys everything. Um, false, cor- false religion corrupts scripture. Mm-hmm. And false religion offers no redemption. 
that's, that's a trifecta of evil. Satan would be pleased with that, wouldn't he? Yeah. So, kids, don't do drugs. Um, <laughs> stay away from false yeah. religion. Yeah, it's 420. Don't do drugs. Uh, stay away from false prophets and teachings. Read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.